0: All right, oh man. I would have it die hard. I'm okay with all right. Jeff, give me 40 minutes today. Yeah, 40 minutes, Gia is going to lift up the time card and then you guys are all going to clap and you're going to help me to keep my commitment to preaching shorter sermons. Uh, If you're new to our church today, uh, welcome. Uh, We're glad that you can be here. Uh, I want to turn up my mic a little bit. A couple of weeks ago, I preached a message. What did I preach on? Being a commitment keeper. And we're living in a generation that's not only afraid of commitment, but they're poor at keeping their commitments. And so I talked about how important it is To keep your commitments before God and keeping your commitments with people. And last week, I preached a message called The Discipline of Being Fully Present. How in a culture, a generation that is filled with social media and smartphones and internet and access to internet everywhere we go, uh, our generation has ADD-like symptoms, attention deficit disorder-like symptoms. And I talked about uh, the symptoms of ADD and how our generation really struggles with being fully present, with giving our undivided attention. You know, giving our attention. Can we afford to give our attention to something that we find important? My question would be, can we not? How, how can we? Wait. We we can't not afford to Give our undi- Anyway, anyway. <laughs> I'm fully present, by the way, I'm fully present, trust me, all right, I'm fully present here. <clears throat> now, the message I preached last week, I preached not because I'm an expert, <clears throat> I preached it in obedience to God, and I confessed early on that I was, I was probably the person in the room that struggles the most with being fully present. Because of my personality type, I'm very goal-driven. And if you ever see me and I'm in the middle of something or I'm busy with something, you know, I can come into a church service, I can come into a Friday fire, and I will just, you know, give the token hi, hello, wave at just a bunch of people. I don't wave at one person, I wave at ten people. And then I just come into a room and I just do my thing. And I have a difficult time being fully present. And that, that not only influences and affects the dynamic I have, when I step into a church service or a prayer meeting, but also influences my dynamic with my personal time with God. I have a difficult time just kind of giving God my undivided attention. And I talked about how important it is for us to pursue the discipline of being fully present. So this week during my seminary classes, I tried with all my heart (laughs) to be fully present and try to honor my professors. And I will confess that I was successful about 35% of the classroom time. That's a good improvement, all right? That's a good improvement. Now, some of these professors, man, they tough. They are tough to, to kind of, I don't know where they're going. And I don't really understand everything they're saying sometimes. And some, some of you exchange students at Yonsei, at KU, you may understand what I'm talking about. Because some of those Korean professors should not be teaching in English. How many of y'all know what I'm saying? You would rather spend your time at the library reading the textbook than sitting through three hours of a lecture that you can't really figure out. So don't, don't blame me. It's not all my fault. <laughs> but I still tried. I still tried. And I saved about 35%. So I'll get better. I'll get better. But one area I, that I did improve in was when I was with people, I would try to be fully present. When I was with people, I would try to be on my smartphone less. Even if I'm commuting, I'm going somewhere with somebody. Instead of seeing that time as a time for me to do my emails and get back to people or check my Facebook, I try to put it away and to see what God is doing in their life, to hear what's on their heart, to be fully present, to love them. And so, you know, I felt like I saw some improvement in that area. And I felt like it also helped me to be fully present with God and to be more aware of his presence as I give people my undivided attention. So last week was a message that really is a message that I need to listen to over and over again, like I said. Because it's an area that I really struggle with. Today, I'm also going to preach a message in which I am not an expert. It's also an area that I struggle with. You might be surprised that I confess this, but I struggle with this quite often. It's, it's, it's quite a difficult struggle, and it's called punctuality. Everybody say punctuality. (laughs) We'll talk about punctuality today. By a show of hands, how many of you here today was on time to church service? Raise your right hand if you're on time to church service. Praise God. God bless you all. God bless you all. You can tell all the people bunched up in the back there. All right, they came in late. It's okay. Don't feel guilty, all right? I didn't raise my hand either, you know. <laughs> don't feel guilty. And if you're new, you know, if you're, if this is your first time, you know, God bless you that you even came to get, uh, to get the first portion of the sermon. Most newcomers, they come in at the end of the service because they can't find the church. <laughs> they walk around all over this neighborhood and talk to old grocery store owners and... Ajumas that don't know where New Philly is. (laughs) Anyway, uh, God bless you that you're here today. Uh, But today I'm going to talk about punctuality. Now, if you read a lot of leadership and business books, one of the things that they will always talk about is the importance of punctuality. Most successful people, they know that punctuality is very important. In fact, people in high positions of influence, high positions of leadership, successful businessmen, oftentimes they will use the test of punctuality to determine who they will buy from or work with, do business with, to help out or to partner or to uh, trust or distrust. They use the test of punctuality to determine it. If you are chronically late... Hey, let me get my glasses. Where are my glasses? Come on, hey. Let me get those glasses. If you're chronically late... Thank you. Uh, I got LASIK done, but my right eye started getting worse. And so, so you know, I'm 20-20 I'm on my left eye, but my right eye... Oh, man, I'm getting all dizzy right now. <laughs> Anyway, let me go on. Let me go on. If you are chronically late or you are late to meet certain key people, whether you like it or not, the people you wish to work with or work for or influence, they're going to negatively judge you. It may even be your small group members. By a show of hands, how many small group members, their small group leaders showed up late to small group already? Okay, don't raise your hand. I'm kidding about that. (laughs) cover your small group leaders' nakedness. (laughs) But yeah, truth is, most successful people have this kind of systematic and efficient way of decision making when determining who they're going to work with. They have a list of criteria by which they filter who they're going to trust. And one of the criteria that is consistently at the top of such a list is punctuality. Successful people understand that getting work done on time, as scheduled, and as promised is of utmost importance. So if a person can't show up on time and be where they're supposed to be, they simply make the connection between your lack of punctuality and your competence and they move on. Sometimes this is fair and deserved. And sometimes this is not fair. Because the bus driver was driving like a turtle. He was slow as a turtle, not driving like a turtle. Turtles don't drive. But <laughs> bus driver was slow as a turtle. There was traffic on the road. The subway was so crammed, I couldn't get in for three cars. I forgot my phone. I had to go back. I got to go back home and get my phone. What you want? You want? I'm sorry. Sometimes it's not fair. But you know what? The higher you go, the less forgiving it is. And whether we like it or not, people in positions of great influence, they consider punctuality a must. And so instead of you trying to convince them that traffic was bad, you need to convince yourself punctuality is important. You don't want them to deal with your excuses. You need to deal with your lack of of punctuality, your lateness issues. You know, our generation, we got to be careful. We got to make the connection between punctuality and priorities. Punctuality and character. Do you know that being late, it reflects upon your priorities? I'll prove it in a moment. And being late also reflects upon your character. You might think you're a very mature person. But if you're constantly being late, it actually shows, it exposes how mature you really are because it's a reflection of character. You know, a a successful man once said there, there were only two reasons for being late for a meeting with him. Number one, you're dead. Or number two, you wish to be. That's, that, I don't know. This some successful business guy said that. All right. So you can see how unforgiving he is when it comes to punctuality. When you get to that high level of influence, you don't got time to listen to excuses. Millions of dollars are hanging on a business deal. Hundreds of thousands of people are going to be influenced by political policy. You can't deal with people being late, getting caught up in traffic again. Yet you forgot your phone again. Sometimes, you know, if you forget your phone, if you have to choose between getting your phone or being late, you know what? Just forget your phone. Especially if you forgot your phone three times in the whole week, in the same week, and your boss has gotten that same excuse again, and you're tempted to actually lie about it, just leave the phone at home. Because sometimes you got to just choose to be punctual. You can save a lot of time and trouble. If you start using punctuality as a basic test to judge who you will do or won't do business with. I know that if you're a late person who's constantly late, you might want to show a lot of people grace. Right? But I'm telling you, the higher up you go, the more you do that, it's going to affect your success. It's going to affect how successful you're going to be. Uh, There's a great book by Dale Carnegie. It's an old book. In fact, when I was uh, 15 years old, my mom gave me a copy of it. It's like a pocket-sized copy. I think it was written back in the 40s, I want to say. This guy, Dale Carnegie, uh, successful leadership speaker, he wrote a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I remember looking at the cover of that book, and I was interested, but I was embarrassed to carry it around. <laughs> Especially going to a public school in Philadelphia. You don't want to be, you know, you don't want somebody to find a book called How to Win Friends in your book in your book bag, you know? they will be like, Oh, look at look what Christian's reading. How to win friends. <laughs> Is this what you've been using on me? <laughs> I knew I didn't like you. You know, I, I was embarrassed to carry it around, so I didn't read it. I didn't read it. It wasn't until like my last year of college, I finally opened up that book because I was more secure about myself. (laughs) And as I started reading it, it was like revelation after revelation after revelation. I felt like the book was speaking directly to me. It was just small tweaks that I needed to make in my thinking, small tweaks in my behavior, my habits. But small tweaks that will result in great success. Small tweaks that will result in great prosperity. And a lot of my Campus Crusade leaders and staff, they used to tell me, hey, Christian, you know, you got so much potential. You have so much leadership potential. You got all this uh, gifts. You're like gifted with media, gifted with, you know, speaking. You're gifted with all these things. But it's just these little things in your character, little things about you you probably amount to nothing. I mean, that's kind of like what they implied. And I used to be like, man, why are you, trying to, why are you hurting me like that? <laughs> you know, be nice, be gentle with me, you know? But when I was reading the book, I was like, oh, this, these are things that they were implying. These are things that they try to point me to. And so that book helped me tremendously. And since then, like over 10, 12 years since I graduated from college, it's just been a struggle to apply that wisdom into my life. A lot of that wisdom, if you really examine it, It comes from scripture. Now, I don't know if Dale Carnegie took it out of scripture, but a lot of the wisdoms he's pointing out is is reflecting scripture, the wisdom that's in scripture. And so if you ever get a a chance to uh, read that book, I would highly recommend it, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, But at the top of Dale Carnegie's list of to-dos is being punctual. You got to learn how to be on time. You know, our church, New Philly, we are in a season of building, and we've been talking about what does it take for our church to build, to build global, influential ministries, to build um, disciples in this house that will go on to start multinational, multimillion-dollar companies. To start ministries that are going to go to the nations. To build up missions, missions uh, agencies that are going to empower local indigenous pastors. Like we've been talking about what are the ingredients to successful building. And some of the things that have been coming up is wisdom. We need wisdom to build. That's why Solomon, he was able to build with success. The temple of of God in Jerusalem. Because he had a lot of wisdom. Another ingredient is collaboration. Learning to embrace great ideas at their infancy instead of shooting them down because you think they sound stupid. But if we will learn to collaborate, in, in actuality, if you learn to collaborate with three or four people, a better idea can be birthed through the collaboration of three to four people than just one person just concentrating on their own by themselves. Inspiration takes place in relationship. That's why a lot of successful companies these days, when they design office uh, interior design, when they do office interior design, they use what's called an open concept. Back in the days, they used to have offices. After that, they switched to cubicles, you know, like, you know, the, the comedy show, office space. Yeah, you, know, you, just, you, just, you just go to the only place you talk to people is at the cooler. Or the annoying employee, uh, uh, fellow worker who comes to your cubicle and then, and then you know, just doesn't go away and keeps talking to you. I used to have workers like that back in New York. But um, they've gone from offices to cubicles, and now they're going to open concept. And so most successful companies these days, when they design their offices, it's completely open. Even the boss, even the CEO will sometimes sit at an open desk. Like uh, Mark Zuckerberg, if you go to Facebook's offices, he was famous in the beginning of his company, I don't know if he still does it, for having a desk just like everybody else. It doesn't look like the CEO's desk. It just looks like everybody else's desk. And he sits there with everybody else in this open space. Why? Because these successful companies, they understand that in a fast-changing world where technology is driving the pace of growth at such such a speed... That if you don't constantly renew, you're going to be left behind. They understand that creativity, innovation is key. And in order to have a culture of creativity, innovation, a lot of times you need to create environments where people can collaborate, where people can talk to each other and rethink doing things, not the same old way, but in a fresh way, in a fresh concept with fresh ideas. How do I get into that? What am I talking about? Oh, uh, our church is in a season of building. Okay. Yeah. So wisdom, creativity, collaboration, but a big key ingredient to successful building is punctuality. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you got to be on time. Let me read to you. Why don't you turn to Proverbs chapter 6. I'm going to read in the NIV here because some of these uh, Proverbs are more clearly worded in the NIV. I'm going to look at Proverbs 6 verses 8 through 12. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without, any, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and pre- gathers her food in harvest. I'm going to switch to the NIV here. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief. And scarcity like an armed man. The Bible says here, look at the ant, all you lazy people, all the sluggards, look at the ant, consider how diligently the ant plans his course, and learn wisdom from the ant. How many of you guys, last time you looked at insects, you were like, man, that is wisdom. (laughs) You don't do that often, do you? But scripture is here exhorting us. Learn something from the ant, especially those who are sluggards. Now, what is a sluggard it's a it's a like a more older word for a person who's lazy a person who's uh lazy oh, what's a better word for a sluggard but one thing you will notice about a sluggard is not only is the person lazy and unwilling to get up and be diligent, but the sluggard. Is oftentimes also very late. And the Bible says here, how long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? Because a little more sleep, a little more slumber, a little more folding hands to rest. Uh, let me take a little short break. Let me take a little longer break. And the Bible says poverty is going to come on you like a thief. Proverbs 13:4 says, "A sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied." Proverbs 15:19 says, "The way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway." Proverbs 20 verse 4 says, "Sluggers do not plow in season, so at harvest time they look, but they find nothing." You know, some of you have been looking and looking and looking and you're finding nothing. And it may not be that God's got something ahead for you at another time. It may be because you failed to recognize the harvest time. You failed to sow in in the past season. You know, a lot of simple-minded Christians, you know, when certain prophetic words go out, And, you know, a man of God says, you know, this the the Lord says that this is a time of harvest. And and many of you you have been praying in and you've been frustrated and you've been crying and you've been crying out to the Lord. But the Lord says now is a time for you to harvest. The Lord is putting a sickle to the crops and you're going to reap a hundredfold of what you've sown. And, you know, people will hear certain words like that and they'll be, oh, that's for me. Oh, I claim that I received that. Thank you, Jesus. But a lot of simple-minded people, they fail, they fail to recognize that when they claim it, but they haven't sown into it at in heart in the past season, they, ain't, they, they can claim all they want, but they're not going to reap anything because they have failed to sow. The apostle Paul said it like this. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows generously will reap generously. A sluggard is a lazy, foolish, selfish person. A person who refuses to deal with their lack of discipline, refuses to deal with their lack of self-control, refuses to deal with their lack of punctuality. That's what a sluggard is. You know, when I was uh, getting my staff training... I used to be on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, and I was living in California for four months, and we had a training director. Um, and in the middle of our training, two months into our training, we did what are called these uh, midpoint assessments. And we went up to this prayer mountain, and a lot of my classmates, there were about 12 of us, we were the sixth graduating class of GCTC, Great Commission Training Center. We're the Yuki. We always used to do this. Yuki, 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 yuki Chang. you know. And and, uh, we went up to this prayer mountain, and the director was supposed to do a personal interview with each of us and to give us an assessment of how we've been doing how we've been growing. And I remember uh, there were these um, doghouse-looking prayer rooms. It was like in California. It was like these prayer rooms, but they they each looked like a little doghouse. And you had to kind of crawl in to get in there and pray. And I remember uh, all my classmates were praying and they were crying because a lot of them were so scared of our uh, training director. But I wasn't scared. I ain't scared of nobody. So I was all like prepared and I was thinking, yeah, you know, I feel like I've been doing a good job, you know, all this stuff. And I meet with my training director and the first thing he says to me is, after I share with him how I think I'm doing, first thing he shares with me is, Christian, you're selfish. I was like, all right, tell me more. <laughs> Christian, you are selfish. You know why you're selfish? I was like, why? Because you're always late. I said, like, I'm not always late. I was late maybe a couple of times, but I'm not always late. But he's like, no, you're always late. And you know what? You need to realize lateness is a reflection of how selfish you are. And I was like, what? I never heard that before. You know, don't worry. I'll break this pattern sometime. You know, I'm, I'm I'm getting more punctual. I'm I'm getting better. He's like, no, you're, it's selfishness. And so you can be doing great in all these other areas. You're helping and and helping to serve. But unless you learn how to put people first, you're never going to break this pattern of selfishness. And then he said, you know, you're so goal oriented. You know what you need to do? You need to make people your goal. You need to learn how to make loving people your goal. And then maybe then your personality type will be driven toward fulfilling those goals. And maybe now you can start loving people and being on time to things. That was my midpoint assessment. It was hard to forget, right? I went in there thinking that, you know, he's going to be like, you've been doing a great job. You know, you've been evangelizing with passion. And yeah, you got some of these issues, but you know, let's talk about that. And let me pray for you and bless you and go. But it was, no, you're selfish. You know, but there are a lot of things he said there that, you know, I actually had to eat the meat and throw out the bones. Because I don't feel like all the things he said uh, was my, my heart did not bear witness with. So, you know, I, I ate the meat and threw out the bones. But one of the meat th- meaty things he did say was how he connected punctuality with selfishness. And I think he was on to something. Because when you read these leadership books, when you read um, these uh, business books, a lot of times t- they'll connect the same thing. They will connect punctuality with character. Punctuality with integrity. But in our minds, a lot of us don't do that. We're like, no, I'm a man of integrity. Yeah, I might be late here and there, but no, I'm still a man of integrity. And we failed to make that connection. But my, my training director was trying to get me to see that connection. And the funny thing is, when he said that, I remembered a very distinct time at NYU, when I was at New York University. It was my sophomore year in college, and I had moved to 11th Street and second avenue there was like a big studio apartment and three uh, two of my friends the three of us we were living there rent was really expensive but i, I had a good high paying part-time job so you know I, I was paying the rent on my own and, and we we're living there and i remember i used to work out like crazy i used to be really into working out i i, I used to buy the the supplements I, I would work out uh four days straight and i will take a rest four days straight i'll take a rest and I used to be about 25 pounds heavier, like, of muscle. <laughs> and for those who were at my birthday party, y'all know, all right? I'm not making this up. Okay. But um, I remember one time uh, I volunteered to participate in a body worship. And, you know, the body worship, you know, God will make a way when there seems to be no way. I don't know. There's a song God will make away. I remember I was doing the body worship and somebody came to pick me up to go to practice, but I had just come from my workout and I was like, oh, anyone who's hardcore into um, working out, they know that after a workout, there's a 45 minute window. And if you eat carbs and protein in that 45 minute window, your testosterone levels spike. And when your testosterone levels spike, that's what causes your muscles to grow bigger than they are now. But people didn't know that. Now you know, okay? So there's that 45-minute window, and it always worked for me. If I eat a lot of protein, a lot of supplements during that 45 minutes, the next day my muscles will be twitching. They're so happy that they're growing. I kid you not. I kid you not. I used to to live for that for that twitch of the muscles growing each day. Anyway, I, I. that day, I decided to make a um, uh, uh, beef steak, like a steak that I had bought, like a sirloin so from the supermarket. And it was time for the person to pick me up. And my steak was still cooking. And so I was trying to hurry up and rush and just eat the steak. And so they rang my doorbell. And then, you know, I, I, it was like this intercom. It's not like Korea with the video and everything, you know. So I was like, hey, I'll be down real quick. I'm sorry. I'll be down real quick. And then um, the person who was picking me up with this guy named Bobby. I don't know if you ever met my friend Bobby O. <laughs> Bobby O grew up in Queens. He used to be a gangster in Queens. He used to, you know, pull switchblades on people. You know? So he's, he tells it like it is. And I remember going, hey, Bob, I'm sorry, I'll be down real quick. And I, I'm over here, like, cutting up the steak on the frying pan and trying to eat as fast as possible. While at the same time, like, grabbing some of my other supplements and trying to make a shake and take it with me. And I don't know, I guess it took more time than I had anticipated. Cause the next thing I know, Bobby came up the, uh, the apartment somehow. Somebody let him in. And he opens the door he's right there. He's like, what you doing? <laughs> you, we've been waiting down there for 10 minutes and you eating steak. <laughs> What's wrong with you? <laughs> oh, I, I, I know you're kind, man. You selfish. You is nothing but selfish. Hurry up, put that steak down. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry, sorry. I put it down. <laughs> and I went. And so now, four years later, no, five years later, I'm at uh, California, my staff training. And so when my training director said, You're selfish because you're late, I remembered Bobby <laughs> looking at me eating that steak. <laughs> And him going, you selfish, ain't nothing but selfish. (laughs) You know, um, I do believe there is uh, a connection. And we need to make that connection in our heads. And if our desire is to be loving to people and to be selfless and to be kind and to serve them, then we got to sacrifice that steak. (laughs) We got to go one day without that twitching of the muscles growing. (laughs) You know what I mean? We got to learn how to go without it. You know, if you really think about it, for really important things, we are never late. Your wedding. How many of you guys plan to be late to your wedding? Now, if you are late to your wedding, you got problems. (laughs) But for things that are really important, or a meeting that you are leading, or you're in charge of. You know, in all my life, I've rarely been late to a meeting I'm in charge of. Because all the hey, my my wife is looking me that look. But honey, honey, <laughs> rarely, all right, rarely. I didn't say always. But I, I want to say rarely. Oh wait, okay, I'm wrong. Okay, the staff meetings I've been late recent. Okay, all right. Anyway, uh, that's a bad habit. I need to break that. Y- y'all need to pray for me after service. <laughs> All right, yeah, I, I, okay, that's a bad example then. All right. <laughs> uh. for, anyway, for really important things, things that are really important to us, we will rarely be late. Or to things that are going to cost us something, we, you, we will rarely be late. Uh, job interview. Most times, most of you will not, especially if you've been searching and searching and can't land one, you're not going to be late to that 10th job interview because it's important it's going to cost you some or to the engagement dinner with your girlfriend's parents. All right? That's going to cost you if you're late to that thing. All right? So for things that are really important to us or things that are really costly, we're oftentimes on time. You see, whenever we are punctual, we communicate what's really important to our hearts. So when you show up late for a church service, you either think that God is not really that important in your life. Because worship is not just about attendance. It's about being fully present. And one of the tips I shared last week about being fully present with someone or being fully present with God throughout the day is go early to things. Because when you find yourself with this silence, without having that busyness that's continually tyrannizing your day, when you find yourself with these blocks of time where you're early to things, you learn to be fully present. So don't get on your smartphone. Just be there and wait. And if there's somebody else that's early, maybe that's a divine appointment. How many of you guys, you, you guys tried being early to things this past week and you ended up talking to somebody that you feel like it was divine appointment? <laughs> oh man, y'all need this message today. <laughs> But yeah, when you are early to things, it gives you those moments where you, are, you can learn to be fully present. And so when you show, show up late to a church service, you either think God's really not that important or you're just failing to make the connection between punctuality and your priorities. You think they have nothing to do with each other. But I'm telling you right now, it has everything to do with each other. You think of it as a bad habit that you deal with someday. But God may be saying to you today, no, you need to learn how to reflect your priorities through being punctual. So, uh, three things. You should be a punctual person because punctuality is connected with, number one, your priorities. Be punctual to church service. Be punctual to prayer meetings. Be punctual to cleaning the sanctuary. Be punctual to your quiet times. Oh, I feel so guilty right now. (laughs) You know, a lot of times we will set an appointment with God and say, oh, God, we, me and God, we got a date. I'm going to meet him at this time. And many times we're late or we just cancel last minute. And we think God doesn't mind. We treat, we treat God like a bad ex-boyfriend or something, you know, somebody that we really don't want to spend time with. But you got to understand God also has emotions. You know, God is never late to an appointment. He's always on time. You know, when you set that date, God's God's expecting you to be there. But a lot of times we set those quiet time dates, those devotion dates, and we think, oh, yeah, I could just do it later. I could do an hour later. I could do it at noontime. I could do whatever. A lot of times we don't keep our punctuality with God, and it's reflecting our priorities. And when those habits go unexamined, it actually starts to spread into other areas of your spirituality. I'll give you an example of a person that was always punctual, that was consistently punctual, not say always, consistently punctual with their appointments with God. His name was Daniel. If you read through the book of Daniel, here's an Old Testament prophet. He had a set time on which he would go up to the rooftop and he would pray. And he would always keep those appointments. And because Daniel had this record of punctuality and discipline and self-control before God, because he had this pattern of setting his priorities on God consistently, you know what God entrusted him with? A calling in which he influenced kings. He gave him the ability to interpret incredible dreams. He entrusted him, and this is the part a lot of people don't pick up. Daniel is the one prophet in the Old Testament that was entrusted with some of the greatest revelation about Jesus and about the end times. No other Old Testament prophet is as eschatological, as end times heavy as Daniel's prophecies. God didn't have to give it to Daniel like that. But you know what the angel said? The angel said, we notice that you are a devout man. You come out, you pray, you, sit, you, you set that time, and, th- and then you keep your commitment, and you come out, and you are fully present. I'm trying to connect all my sermons to- to- together for y'all. <laughs> you know, the angel says, Daniel, you is there. We can count on you. are reliable. You're a reliable man. Because you're reliable, we're going to give you this revelation about the end times. Do you want to be entrusted with great influence? Do you want to be entrusted with the secrets of his kingdom? Then we got to learn how to set our priorities through our punctuality. Another thing I talked about is punctuality is connected with not only your priorities, but your character. Right? Christian, you're selfish. You know what it really comes down to it? There's a lot of truth in what my friends have been saying, what my, my, what my training director said. When I really examine... All right, hold that up, Jay. All right. All right. All right. Okay. All right. We're going to wrap up. All right. Just give me five more minutes. Five more Look, I got to land on my third point, all right? My third point is my key point, all right? Anyway. We've got to recognize punctuality is connected with our character. And God doesn't want you to be a selfish person. He wants you to be a selfless person. Amen? He wants you to be a person of love. You know, love is patient. You know, you can only be patient when you're on time or early. You can't be patient when you're late. <laughs> why? Because why can't you be patient when you're late? Because when you're late, Other people are being patient with you, not you being patient with them. Love is patient. You never have an opportunity to be patient if you're constantly late. So it's connected with your character. Punctuality is connected with your character. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's in the King James. But if you look in the NIV, it says of love. God is not giving you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, power, and self-control or self-discipline. Punctuality has to do with self-control. It has to do with character. It has to do with discipline. And so is it worth your energy and your time and your prayers to learn to become a punctual person? I'm saying yes, it is because it's worth it for you to put that energy and time and prayer to being a godly character person. If you want to be a person of integrity and character, you've got to learn how to deal with your punctuality. You've got to deal with it. And third, you should be a punctual person because punctuality is connected not only with your priorities, not only with your character, but it's connected with God's character. So let me talk to you about God's punctuality record. There's a gospel song by Dottie People, uh, Dotty Peoples. And the song is called, He's an on-time God. In fact, I have it right here on my iPhone. I'm going to play a little, 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 oh, my iPhone's off. I'm going to read to you the lyrics, and I'm going to play a little bit of the song for you. The Dottie uh, the, the People song goes like this. He's an on-time God. <laughs> yes, he is. Oh, 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 he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. He may not come. He may not come when you want him. But he'll be there right on time. I tell you, he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. Okay, I'll play it for you real quick. Oh, y'all don't know about this black gospel. This is what I listen to sometimes. i my free time. good song. You can download it on uh, on iTunes. Uh, And then the verse goes like this. She goes, can I get a witness in here? She says, you can ask the children of Israel trapped at the Red Sea by that mean old Pharaoh and his army. They had water all around them and Pharaoh on their track. From out of nowhere, God stepped in and cut a highway just like that. If you read through scripture, one thing you understand about God's character is he's an on-time God. God has never been late to anything. His people should not be left. Okay, that's okay, that's okay past the point of no return. (laughs) Uh, I'll wrap it up. Don't don't worry. I'll wrap it up. (laughs) Jay is aggressive today. All right. (laughs) That's good. good. You're doing a good job. You're doing a good job, Jay. Doing good. Doing good. Doing good. Now, God's an on-time God. When the Israelites were trapped in front of the Red Sea, like in in the song, they were like, Oh, no, we're going to die. And then they started, you know what they started to think when they thought that God is a late God? They started to come up with accusations that God brought them out of Egypt to kill them at the Red Sea. And they started saying, man, God God, God should have showed up five hours ago. Look at, you can see the army now. The Pharaoh's army is coming right down that valley. And within an hour, all these millions of Hebrews were going to get slaughtered. They started to panic. And Moses almost caught that panic bug himself. And he started to cry out to the Lord. And the Lord is like, Look, check this out. I am never late, I am an on time God. Stretch out your staff and see the Red Sea parted before you. Okay? And then they crossed the Red Sea. It took hours. You know, it wasn't like, you know, like a little, you know, like a Han River, it was, it was a huge sea. You know, they stepping on algae and lobsters that are all of a sudden like, Oh, what happened to the water? I, th- I think I did this joke before. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, they, they walk across the Red Sea. And once all these hundreds of thousands, millions of people, they cross the Red Sea, then they see Pharaoh's army, who is also crossing the Red Sea. And then they panic again. And God says, check this out. I'm an on-time God. And when Pharaoh's army had entered into the Red Sea, God had the waters collapse over them, and they all perished. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the book of Daniel. When King Nebuchadnezzar commanded them to bow down to his image, and they refused because they believed in God. They were ordered to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Is kidding Nebuchadnezzar, right? He gets thrown into the fiery furnace. And as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are getting closer and closer to that fire, they're thinking, oh man, I'm feeling the heat. What's going on? I thought God's going to deliver us. Because he's saying, like, you know, even, even you know what? We will not bow down to your your idols or your images. And they say, even if God doesn't deliver us, we will not bow down. But yeah, I bet you... The three, when they said that, they were like, man, God's going to deliver us though. (laughs) You know, and they're feeling the heat and where's God? Where's God? But one thing about these three men that the Bible doesn't record is they never panicked. Okay. The interesting thing is the guards that took them up to throw them into the furnace, the furnace was so hot as the guards were taking them up, they died. That's hot. But the Bible still does not say Shadrach, Meshach, and Ben will start running down the the hill after the guards died and they will start panicking. It doesn't say that. As they're entering the furnace, think what's going through their minds. God, where are you? We're we're getting closer. Here's the door. God, where are you? Where are your Ah, ah, deliverers? Where's the furnace? Where are you, Lord? You're in the furnace. They're burning. And still, God said, you know what? I'm on time. Because when they got into the furnace, guess what? There was a fourth man, like a son of the God, the son of the gods. It's a, we, a lot of people will interpret that to be a pre-incarnate uh, manifestation of Jesus. So Jesus is in there, walking around the fire with them. And the king Nebuchadnezzar is like, what's going on in there? They're walking around. I don't know if they had a window in which he watched. I don't know how he did all this. But finally, they take him out. And King Nebuchadnezzar just humbles himself. He says, your God must be the true God. I've never seen anything like this. He's an on-time God. You know, a person that panicked when God looked like he was late is a guy named King Saul. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 13, That when he went out to defeat the Amalekites. When he returned, he was supposed to wait a certain period of time. And then the prophet Samuel was supposed to show up. And then to make a sacrifice to God. So I'm sorry, it's the Philistines here, right? Okay, so in 1 Samuel 13. King Saul defeats the Philistines. And then he was supposed to wait for prophet Samuel to come to make the sacrifice to God. But the Bible says, when Samuel did not come to Gilgal and the people were scattering from him, Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And King Saul proceeded to make the offerings himself when he was not designated to do so. You know what the Bible says? Samuel finally shows up and he says this to Saul. You have done foolishly, for you have not kept the command of the Lord your God, with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Who was the man who ended up taking Saul's place? A man who was after God's heart? David. David was not only a punctual man, but he was a man who believed that God is punctual always. Saul had a hard time believing that, so he made these unauthorized sacrifices. But David, think about that. <clears throat> think about the day in which he fights Goliath. Number one, his dad tells him to deliver his picnic basket to your brothers who are serving in the military. If David decided, ah, oh, well, you know, they don't, they not, they may not be that hungry today. Ah, oh, you know, let me eat some of this food, and you know, and he just showed up late. He would not gotten there on time to hear the taunts of Goliath. But he got there and he delivered that picnic basket on time. Heard the taunts of Goliath, and then went up to King Saul to get his blessing to fight Goliath. And as he's approaching Goliath, think about that, David's. A little boy, not a little boy, but I don't know how old he is by this time. might be 18 or something like that, 17, 18, whatever. And so he's going with a stone. But you see, he believed that God is on time. He wasn't sure how he was going to defeat Goliath, but he knew that with God's power, he was going to defeat Goliath. And so he was so confident God would be on time, he didn't wait for Goliath to come to him. The Bible says David ran to Goliath. I want you to turn to John chapter 11. I'll just close with this. In John chapter 11, you have a narrative about Jesus during his ministry and one of his close friends named Lazarus. Read from verse 4. When Jesus heard that Lazarus is ill... He said this, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Verse five. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said this to the disciples, let us. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But anyone who walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. That's not the point of my sermon. Let's keep going. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But I go to awaken him. And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. They're thinking, if he's taking a nap, he's going to get better. Then Je- uh, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Look at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for two days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is coming into the world. Please keep reading with me. Verse 28. When she has said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place. He was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an order for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, this is four days now, just not two. Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is a very difficult narrative because here in this narrative, everything in Mary and Martha and the villagers experience tells them that God is late. That Jesus is late. That Jesus, the one who heals the sick, opens the eyes of the blind, if he had just come on time, Lazarus would have not died. And so, Jesus tells Martha, look, I am the resurrection and the life. You believe in me? Even if you die, you live. Pointing to the gospel that the good news of of his cross. Now, what I want to say here is God appoints times and seasons and divine appointments for our lives. And when God sets those things, God is never late to an appointment. You see, Jesus was appointed by the Father to be intentionally, to intentionally seemingly be late to Lazarus' village, the village of Lazarus. It was an appointed thing. And when the appointed time came, Jesus was there and he was on time. You know, you might be um, searching for a job. And you just feel like, man, when am I going to find a job? you like, God, how come you're so late? I'm I'm here on time uploading my resumes. I've been on time to these job interviews. Where are you at, God? Where are you? And in those times, you have to believe that God's character, He's always punctual. The only reason you're experiencing that frustration is because God's got an appointed time for your breakthrough, for your provision. You know, some of you might be praying about your marriage. Yeah, he's an on-time God, except in my marriage. God, where are you at? Where is the man of my dreams? Where is the man of prayer? I don't even need a man of prayer anymore. Just give me a man who carries a Bible. Give me somebody. I just need somebody to love. And, you know, I don't know. That's Justin Bieber, by the way. <clears throat> Forget this gospel song. I just need somebody. Give me somebody. love. Where are you at, God? How come you're so late? And God is saying, I got to have a point of time for your future marriage. And I'm not going to be late. You know, when I was in my 20s, I used to think that all the time. I wanted to get married early. According to my schedule, I wanted to be married when I was 24. You know when I got married? 29. Just at the cusp of turning 30. For five of those years, I just thought, man, God, where's my wife? Where's my wife? And I used to get prophetic words. You will meet your wife on the missions field, the spirit of the Lord says. I'm like, all right, I'm going on missions. (laughs) All right, I told you these stories. I've been on so many mission trips, you know, not only to evangelize, but I want to find my wife. I want that prophecy to be fulfilled. I used to think, God, your timing feels very late but God says no I always come on time there's a purpose for all this there's a glory that I'm obtaining through this there's a character that's being built up in you there's a calling that needs to be established in your wife's heart you know when we first started dating we went out on four dates and it was amazing we had an awesome time, and after the fourth date, we we thought, felt like we didn't have covering back then, so we were just making our own autonomous decisions. But uh, we felt like, and we, we we were consulting in the pastor a little bit. But anyway, we felt like we needed to move on. So we, I wanted to meet her dad, but her dad's in New York, so her dad had a younger brother here in Korea, and so we set up a date to go have dinner with her uncle, our Chagunapa and Chagunamba, their uncle and aunt. So we go all the way over to the east side of Seoul and we have dinner and I'm thinking it's going great. They love me, you know. And at the end of that date, Aaron starts crying. She says, because I have predetermined if your dad says no, you know, I got to I got to just put this on ice. I'm a, I'm a man in the ministry and I just got to I got to honor your dad's wishes. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I got to at least honor his wishes and just just Wait. And so I, we had predetermined that if if his her father said no, I, we were going to break up, and we were going to put it on ice. And so she starts crying and she says, "My uncle said no. Why? <laughs> what do you mean he said no? <laughs> he said no." And she just starts crying and crying and crying. And she said, "Look, we don't have to. Do we have to do this?" And I was like, "No, no, no. I, I feel like." I feel like this is how God's put it on my heart. We, we got to put this on ice then. We got to pray and wait for your dad's heart to change. I cannot proceed, especially as a man in the ministry. I can't just proceed against your father's wishes so quickly. So we broke up for two weeks. I'm mean, not two weeks, two months. We went out for two weeks and then we broke up for two months. And the thing is, at the beginning of those two months, Aaron did not know what she was going to do with her future. She had no sense of calling for her life. Only sense of calling for her life was to come out of a lifestyle of drugs and start to live a lifestyle being sober, if you know her testimony. That was her only calling the year before. And now that she's living in freedom and she's living in Christ, she had no idea what God was going to do with her future at the beginning of those two months. But when we broke up during those two months, God made absolutely clear to her that whether she marries Christian or not, that God was calling her to the ministry. Full-time ministry. She didn't know if she was supposed to go to seminary, if she was supposed to go to some training center. She just knew that she had a calling from God to go into full-time ministry. And so by the end of the two months, when we actually, her father finally gave his blessing and we started going out again, when we started to see each other again, she had an absolute assurance that God had called her into the ministry. I thought God was delaying. You know, I thought after we broke up that within a month, God would bring the breakthrough and we'd get a phone call from her dad. It didn't happen that way. It took a little bit longer because what God was doing in her heart required that time. And so it's very important that when we think God is late, we got to trust that he's still on time, that his character does not change because of our perception that's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, on your own understanding of timing, on your own understanding of punctuality. Do not lean on your own understanding. Acknowledge in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. God has appointed times and seasons for you. And God is never going to be late to those things. So do not be like King Saul. Get anxious and do things that are unauthorized, that are actually going to set you back, that are actually going to set you back or even disqualify you for what God has prepared for you in the future. Now, one thing I want to say before I close, and I know I went way over time. I need to listen to my message, keeping commitments again, all right? you are a commitment keeper I'll, I'll listen to it again but take takes that one thing i want to po- point out is jesus wept Did you notice that jesus knew he was going to resurrect lazarus from the dead but the bible still says he was moved and he wept what does that tell you that tells me that in the frustration in the tension of waiting in the pain Of thinking, man, God, where are you? Why is this taking so long? In all of that emotion, God is fully present. Think about that. Jesus wept. He knew he was going to resurrect Lazarus. He knew that. He knew he had the power to do that. He knew he was going to do that. But yet... When he came to the village and he saw Mary and he saw the people who loved Lazarus, the Bible said he decided to be fully present in that moment and he wept. Here's what I want to close with when Jesus died on the cross, right before he died, he said something in Aramaic. He said, Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabbatani, which means, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And if you don't understand the mission of Jesus and the character of God, you can misinterpret that statement as Jesus feeling like he got completely abandoned at the cross and feeling like a complete failure. And he's thinking, I thought I was supposed to save the world. What is this? Why have you forsaken me, Father? If you misinterpret it, that's the direction you might go. But if you understand what was really happening, the reason Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, why have you forsaken me? Is because Jesus felt the pain, the tension, the frustration of waiting, of feeling like God is late, of feeling like, God, where are you? He knew the resurrection was going to come but he still chose to be fully present on that cross so he can identify and empathize with all the emotions we go through when we think God is late. See, the cross doesn't just tell you God's an on-time God, believe it. The cross tells you, I know how hard it is to wait. There's going to come a better day. The breakthrough is coming. Check this out. I'm with you also. I'm fully present with you in all the pain and the frustration. That is awesome news. That gives us the grace to endure with joy. God is an on-time God. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that although the devil wants to convince us that you're absent or that you're late, we thank you that your word shows us clearly that you're always punctual, you're always on time. You may not show up when we want you to, according to our schedule, but you always show up according to heaven's schedule and so Father Lord where we insist on going according to our timetable today Lord we submit to yours and we trust and we choose to trust and acknowledge you to not lean on our own understanding of what's happening but to trust that you're always on time And to trust that you are with us, fully present with us, even as we wait. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you wept. Thank you that you said those words on the cross. Because it reveals to us, Lord, that you are not an apathetic God, you are a God who is rich in love with us. You are Emmanuel. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And as an on-time God, we pray that we will be an on-time people of God, a people that uphold punctuality, setting the right priorities and letting it reflect our right priorities. Walking in a Christ-like character, a character that reflects punctuality. Help us to be an on-time people, Lord. Serving and worshiping an on-time God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll stand to our feet and close the song.